Daedalus 4 released supporting native assets and non-fungible tokens. We've got the details. Plus, 500 million ADA delegated to mission-driven stake pools, a milestone signifying a turning point in charitable giving. And a fascinating conversation with Jonathan Dixon, a graphic designer bringing NFTs to the Cardano network, on this episode of your Cardano Update. Hello everyone out there, welcome to your Cardano Update. It's the 30th of March, 2021. I'm James Kiever with United States of Cardano. Very sorry about last week not releasing any shows. We acquired some new hardware and getting it all to talk nicely with one another was easier said than done. But here we are, everything's working and we're very pleased to bring you this show. Real quick, like the video and subscribe to our channel. And we do have a stake pool. It's nowhere close to saturation. The ticker is USA01, United Stakes of Cardano. And for those of you staking with us right now, we realize there are other pools, cheaper pools, pools with cooler Twitter mascots. Most of the delegates that are with us now have been with us and they stay with us. And we just want to say right now, thank you. We see you and it's appreciated. Our pool, uh, we have three uh, stake pool operators, myself and I cover public relations and marketing. Isaac, he handles the server and coding operations. Dave handles finance and compliance. Together we make the stake pool crack team you want behind your precious bag of ADA. And with all that said, Input Output released Daedalus 4 today, supporting native assets and non-fungible tokens. It also includes a countdown clock to a fully decentralized Cardano network when blockchain production will be handled fully by stake pools on the network. Existing Daedalus users will be prompted to update, but new users are recommended to download only from the official Daedalus site, which we will link to in the description of this video. Huge news out of the Cardano Foundation as analytics show over $500 million worth of ADA currently delegated to what's commonly being referred to as mission-driven stake pools. These are stake pools that donate part or all of their proceeds to charitable social causes. But what's truly remarkable here is that these pools, while positively impacting the community, are also at the same time securing the network. And none of it requires trust or a third party of any kind, as many of these pools are using transactional metadata when making charitable donations, verifying to their delegates in the entire world their proof of impact. This demonstrates a paradigm shift in charitable giving, seen first here in the Cardano ecosystem. And the numbers again are quite staggering. More than 10,000 individual delegates have pledged a portion of their ADA holdings to more than 60 different mission-driven stake pools on the Cardano network. Another very exciting thing right now and a super hot topic, non-fungible tokens and native assets. You're seeing them everywhere. Space coins, Cardano kids, space buds, the list goes on and on. They're selling for big bucks and there seems to be no rationale behind them whatsoever. Is there a method to the madness? Can anyone bring sense to it all? Well, our next guest may provide just that. 
He's calling all the way from Ireland, Jonathan Dixon. He is a professional visual artist and he's bringing NFTs to the Cardano network. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. If you would just kind of start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Okay, um, I'm a visual artist. I'm mainly a painter, but I also work with manipulative photography and some conceptual kind of stuff. So I, I'm... I came from the design industry, so I worked for about 24 years as a graphic designer and creative. Um, and about, five, say, 12, 13 years ago, I had this hilarious epiphany that I'm supposed to be a painter. And I basically started painting uh, evenings after my design job. Um, and, I, and that started to go really, really well. And I got some... Um, exhibitions and stuff and then in 2015 i got invited to do a solo show of the body of work that i'd kind of amassed so on the back of that the solo show was really really well accepted or uh, so i had the decision to make whether i was gonna basically go back to design or jump back into full-time painting which was what my original passion was so i i made the jump and haven't looked back since so Interesting. here I am. <laughs> yeah, and now you're on everyone's radar, everyone in the Cardano ecosystem's radar. I'm curious, tell yeah. us how that happened. Well, um, it actually it started with a, a conversation. A friend of mine started telling me about Cardano. We were talking about cryptocurrency and the like. And I, to be honest, I wasn't really interested in it. Um, and they kind of persisted. They kind of said, you need to check out Cardano. So the type of head that you have based on some commissions that I've done for the Intel's European headquarters, I kind of changed my artistic practice a bit. And he says, you should really look into this. There's huge potential for somebody with your kind of head because I I love maths and I'm interested in algorithms. And I'm interested in coding and all this kind of stuff. So I kind of sat down and I had to look at it. And it just opened my mind because I hadn't seen any of this before. And Cardano seems to be taking a different approach than um, a lot of the other uh, cryptocurrencies. And I thought there's more to it. And then I started, my head started going into the world of NFTs and I started seeing that there's a huge amount of potential here, potential for creative possibilities, nothing not to do with minting GIFs as NFTs and stuff. I think there's, it's, it's ginormous, the level of uh, potential that's there for, for just to change your creative brain. I think it's like it's a new medium almost. Hmm. So that's where that happened. <laughs> so bring us up to speed on what the tweet was all about. Um. Basically, I had done a, a commission for Intel where I visually showed how a qubit worked. I did a portrait of Gordon Moore, the co-founder. Um, it was called Gordon Moore Superposition. So I showed how you could demonstrate a painting that existed as an abstract painting and as a figurative painting at the same time. And I had my head turned upside down by that. And I really got into quantum computing and started nosing around in it. I got another in, uh, commission from Intel and it was um, a kind of a photo-based project where I wrote a rule set for image gathering and started getting my head into that. Um, then on the back of that, I started, I looked up, I got my friend to um, basically pay me in ADA um, and I used the transaction code to see if I could create an aesthetic out of it because I think maths and art visually belong together. Like there's, I see no separation, like the amount of maths that's used in art and I think art like a really well 
delivered mathematics lectures, a work of art to behold. You know, when somebody's explaining stuff and your head starts going all fuzzy. So, um, with the thoughts. So, I just I went to see if I could make a piece of art. So, I basically wrote like an almost like um, I did an abstract painting of colors that I'd used in some other paintings. There's a whole idea behind why I used the certain colors and how. And I'll tell you that again. But um, I took the ADA transaction code and turned it into a, a code for getting uh, parts of that painting. So the paintings are squares, uh, singular brush strokes, and each square ends up representing uh, a part of an ADA transaction code. So if you see, when you see the paintings, it'll make a little bit more sense. So I started just delving into the possibilities of what you could do aesthetically from codes and turn them into visual versions of codes. And then the paintings then became... Um, they were NFTs that didn't exist until they became uh, transaction codes. So I didn't take a painting and, and minted it as an NFT. I did it the opposite way around. I tend to try to look at stuff and try and do it the, differently than everybody else is doing it. So I just flipped it on its head. And so these pieces of art only exist because of the transaction code. No way. And without the transaction code, they wouldn't have existed or can't. So, but also then on the back of that, then they have an aesthetic themselves based on other kind of topics. Again, I won't go into them. Maybe too long at the minute. Um, so it worked basically. And I tweeted them and I got a huge reaction off them. People, and what I loved about it is none of this matters if the aesthetic doesn't work on its own two feet. If, it, if you have to explain it into the ground before somebody gets it, then it's failed in my view, because I'm a visual artist. Everything has to work visually. So the reaction from them was initially that people thought they looked amazing and they made them feel something and they felt like this is really beautiful to look at and it makes me feel nice looking at it. Um, and then they read into it and found out what it was about. And I thought, okay, there's something here because the idea is all well and good, but the images have to stack up by themselves, which is what it's a big part of my practice. So, so that's basically how they came about. So it's to me, mm -hmm. so if I hold that up to you, uh, here's this is where's my so right here yeah oh right there if i see the numbers and the letters yep. i've taken an ada transaction code mm -hmm. and split it out using you start off with the first letter in the code and the first number and you take them and you put them aside and you work your way through the entire transaction and there's another code as well there's a sequence of numbers here see the one two one three three uh -huh. hold on i'll go slow see this one here mm -hmm. This is a code of how many there's how many letters are and like there's there's so many letters and then there's so many numbers there's so many letters and so many numbers and there's a kind of a there's a a sequence to those as well mm -hmm. so it's basically you're sequencing the letters and the numbers and put turning them into codes that can be generated into um and then when the image gets I'll actually have I my printheads here old school <laughs> So if I hold up that, these are some of the, so these here, these squares, you, you'll, I'll, you'll have a much better view of it when I show you the actual PowerPoint. So these squares relate to, I did a painting, um, an abstract painting based on the squares that I used for the portrait of Gordon Moore. I went on and did other paintings and experimented with that. So these squares are, this code is crackable from the painting as well, if you have my key. Okay, funny, when I was an undergrad, I experimented with oil painting, doing exactly, not big pixels, but yeah. um, more, more uh, on par of like uh, a piece of uh, graph paper. 
and I took yeah. the, the Lord's Supper and uh, did it all out. So I, what, a question I have for you is when you do yeah. these paintings that represent the transactions, are you doing them by eye or are you using a computer to figure out your colors and because that was my problem with the painting. I would work on it for, you know, a weekend and it would look great. Yeah. And then I would come yeah. back to it and I'd have to get my colors and I could never get my colors. Either you have to do it and not stop until it's done, which yeah. would have taken a whole lot and never did finish it. But it was beautiful <laughs> what I did do. Yeah. But the, um so with Gordon Moore's portrait, it was by eye, mm -hmm. basically. Um, and you just get stuck. It, the thing is, when you're, I suppose, I've been painting for years, so your eye gets trained with for colour accuracy. So the accuracy has to be complete. I'll send you the PowerPoint presentation yeah. afterwards. You can have a good look at it. Definitely. But yeah, it's by eye. But the, these ones, because they're abstract, um, there was an original painting done. So these images are photographic. They're going to be large scale, printed as large scale photographs. So the NFTs that are in a sense minted out of this, I did an abstract painting and used that as my key. Mm -hmm. So it's like I'm doing an, um, an analog version of a blockchain. So this painting is in a sense a blockchain and inside that, using the codes that I've generated or the way to ac extract the information. There's millions of different iterations of this abstract painting that can be related to a transaction code or a minted NFT. Um, but it, aside from all of that, it means nothing if it's just, um, you know, meaningless, you know, like putting colors and blocks around that. I wanted to show that a lot of art, like I do other paintings as well, more traditional, but I always... Uh, sort of uh, you put these constraints on yourself so I'm doing a series of paintings based on forests and there's a metaphor for why humans you know a forest in the daytime is different than the nighttime it's all about the human conditions there's all there's a whole concept an artistic concept behind it but to actually get the images for the forest I only photograph a certain area at a certain time of the day at a certain time of the year so I'm forcing all these um restrictions on myself but they're also based on you know coding has certain restrictions but there's beauty in it as well i'm almost trying to show the aesthetic side the aesthetics that are involved in these kind of almost cold you know calculating uh codes that are set up and algorithms and people are talking about all this stuff and i can see beauty in it and i can see that it's very much related to um how humans view the world around us and basically what was going on with Cardano and with the codes and all of this, it's, it can actually drive you slightly mad. It's like, it's, it's you know, the, the movie, The Matrix, when uh, Neo suddenly realizes that the world isn't what he thought it was. Mm -hmm. So Cardano for me has this like fantastically perception altering effect that you can start looking at everything. And I'm going for, you know, thinking about fungible tokens and non-fungible tokens. So fungibility as a concept for in art is massive. You think about it like a blue sky is a fungible uh, visual because um, you can split a blue sky up and it's still a blue sky, but a, a, blue, a sky with clouds in it is a non-fungible image because when you split it up, you start getting different visuals and different things. And I started thinking sound is fungible and uh, music is non-fungible. You start thinking about things in, in that kind of a way. Are you, are you still there? You seem to have gone off. No, I'm here. No, I'm no, you're still here. I am. I'm, so, I'm listening intently. You're brilliant. Okay. <laughs> 
So there's all this stuff going on in my head based on what happened when I met Car- with, you know, met with Cardano, and I think started thinking like, and then do you know the other thing as well is um, the the NFTs that are being released at the minute. Um, there's a huge amount of greed, and there's going to be a huge negative backlash against what NFTs are because at the minute it's all about people making as much money as they can, and you know a lot of the art I see is not really coming from the art, you know, the art background. It's coming from people wanting to make money. And that's fine. And there's no problem with that. But the NFTs could be so much more than that. There's way more to it. Yeah. Um, Jonathan, what uh, yeah. What was, when you posted that on Twitter, um, and we'll get your tweet uh, in the description of the video, what yeah. was the response from the community? It was pretty good. Um, everyone seemed to... I, I don't have a massive Twitter following, but people responded to it positively. They kind of it made them stop and think about okay, this is a bit different, um, and maybe makes people look at it in a slightly different way. I just think there's so much more to uh, NFTs than what's happened. I think artists are going to start when all the dust settles and all the kind of noise about Christie's auctioning stuff and everything. There's going to people are, you know, people settle down and start going, well, is this a valid art form? Is it something for exploration? I know initially there's a lot of young artists that'll probably that are na- digitally native artists that could probably use it as a platform to get their work out there. Um, there's also um the other day, um oh, I have something here written down. Yeah, Jeremy was saying he got in touch. Um, he said something yesterday that I actually hadn't really realised. He was talking about asking me um, about the transaction ID, and he was talking about the metadata in the transaction. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't aware that metadata is something you can imagine um, attaching information onto the NFT that tells a story um, about the piece of art. And also, I was thinking, well, then poets can start releasing poems through this platform. Um, you can release stories. Art can have, you can link pieces of art together. It's not like, it's not this, you know, you release this, a JPEG, as an, you meet it as an NFT and somebody buys it and that's it. Like, that's like, it's so, it, 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 there's so much more to it than that to be explored. And I hate to ask you this, but I'm just yeah. dying to know. Some people are going to use this for nefarious purposes. So off yeah. the top of my head, um, let's just, you know, um, maybe illegal pornography. Um, yeah. You know, once it's up on the blockchain, it's there. Like, it's, yeah. it's not going anywhere. What's, I mean, this, that, that's the rotten apple that could, you know, ruin the whole bunch. Uh, what, yeah. Have you given any thought to that problem and any possible solutions? Um, that's a really good question. Um, and the short answer is no, but it's definitely something. Uh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, unless there's some sort of, uh, well, there, I suppose there can be a policing of what gets minted in the first place. Well, how, if it's, you know. I don't know if that's the answer because uh, yeah. how, how would we impose those restrictions? I did ask someone in the past, and I can't remember off the top of my head, this exact question, and their answer was uh, interesting. Uh, we may not be able to um, control the information that's placed immutably on the blockchain, but we certainly can control 
um, how we view data on the blockchain. For instance, you know, we've got the internet, right? We've got the dark yeah. web and we've got all these different sections of the internet, but most of us go to our internet browsers like Brave or Internet Explorer or Chrome, yeah. and we use those to view the internet. So maybe the answer is, um, you know, viewers like that, that are able to um, determine the difference between legitimate or illegitimate legal or illegal data on the blockchain. It was an interesting answer, I thought. Yeah, it is. It's and it's certainly it's funny that I suppose that didn't cross my radar because that's not something I'd necessarily be thinking about. Sure. But yeah, it's definitely something that needs to be, you know, people need to sit down and have a really good think about it and kind of germinate ideas about how it could be looked at. Um and I think it's almost it's the world we live in and the world we created, you know, as well as that there's it's difficult. It could almost be impossible. And that doesn't necessarily mean uh, yeah, Jesus, that's a big one, isn't it? <laughs> it's certainly yeah. a question. It's, no, it's something that's yeah. going to have to be answered. Maybe not uh, right now, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting question. So, uh, if, I think one of the best ways we can wrap this up is, um, what do you think needs to happen um, next to facilitate, you know, the kind of work that you're doing? Non fungible tokens. Fungible tokens, uh, art, uh, everything you're doing. What do you want? What are you looking forward to the most happening next? Um, really, when the dust settles, it's so new, and for you know the mainstream art, it's such a new idea. Um, and I think there's going to be a huge backlash against the way. It's already happening in Ireland and some European media that they're talking about the. Because the this the sort of stuff that's been sold as NFTs and the way it's been sold and why it's been sold, everybody's saying it's like this gold rush of digital artists and everybody's rushing in to buy ridiculous stuff and all. I think that's going to die pretty quick. Mm. That's not sustainable. It's a bubble. Um, and what comes out of that is people start sitting down and seeing what actually is an NFT. Most people, and even people that I would have thought would have known better, still think an NFT is simply... Um, what you would think it is initially whether you basically mint an nft and you've got an image attached to it and you have ownership of that and it doesn't really matter whether what the image is you own it and that's that um any artist worth their salt is going to straight away like once the dust settles and once a deeper understanding of what it can be settles in people are going i'm going to want to start doing serial work on it and start expand i've already come up i've already been looking at a new project um, based on our perception of memory. So you're saying when a, when an NFT, when something gets minted onto the blockchain, that's it, it's there for life, it's there forever and it stays. So that I started thinking to myself, like, wouldn't it have been great if books like the Bible had have been originally released that way? So they wouldn't have been open to misinterpretation and changing to suit different people's uh, mm. versions of what they think reality and truth should be. Um, it's a way of, geez, it's really, it's kind of tough. Um, I think initially, I suppose, look, when the dust settles with everything that's going on, when people get to, to grips with actually what they are and what they can be, I think then you'll start getting people, uh, 
sharing ideas and sharing projects. You might get artists from across the globe minting NFTs and transferring to each other. And then you'll have a almost like a blockchain project where artists will work with each other and they'll affect each other in ways so you get artists from totally different backgrounds and different platforms might decide to do something. So you have this chain of art. You know, when you're a kid, you do a picture with your friends, you start off, you draw a head on the top and you fold it over and the next person draws the neck and you fold it and the next person, when you open it up, you have this piece of art that's been created by all of your friends and it can look kind of funny. So I think there's there's, there's loads of ideas, the stuff where you can do stuff like that. I think music as well, sound art, poetry, everything has a shot to get up on that, not in order to you know, push or promote, but actually use it as a creative source in itself. What's what's next for you as an artist? The next stage is this was an experiment that went pretty like it, it went really well and I was happy with it. So the next thing is I haven't actually um, done them yet. Uh, sorry, I haven't minted these as, as NFTs, but they're going to be. That's like the next thing. So they'll be coming very, very soon. Um, and I'll have them on my social media channels and stuff. I actually don't have a website, would you believe, because I've been so busy since I left my full-time job. I've literally been just project work and um, painting and exhibiting, and it's gone so well that I haven't had a chance to sit down. I'd rather paint than do a website. So. Oh, I hear that. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well, Jonathan, we are so, just very grateful for you talking with us. I will be sure to include a link to your Twitter and any other links that you provide uh, for me. And um, just want to thank you again for coming on the show. Jonathan Dixon, he's uh, calling all the way from Ireland, a professional visual artist bringing NFTs to the Cardano Network. Jonathan, thank you again. You're very welcome. No problem. Pleasure to be here. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our show for you today. We do appreciate you tuning in all the way to the end. If you've seen something that motivates you to action, we can be reached on one of these channels. If you haven't already, please like the video, subscribe to our channel, and delegate to our stake pool, United States of Cardano, ticker USA01. And when you do delegate to our pool, please drop me an email, james.keever at unitedstakesofcardano.io, and let me know personally. I want to thank you. All right, everyone, thanks again for watching. I'm James Kiever, and that's your Cardano Update.